If you have your Bibles with you, I'd invite you to turn with me once again this morning to the book of 1 John, uh, near the end of your Bibles, near the end of the New Testament. 1 John chapter 2, we are about halfway through our study of this book. We're six weeks in and uh, six weeks to go, so um, that's where we, we are. I'm going to pick up on an observation before I read uh, the passage for this morning. I'm going to pick up an op- on an observation that I made last week about what we've seen as we've started to look at this book. This book has been one of contrasts. That's what I brought up last week. Light and dark, old and new, love and hate, and then last week, truth and lies. Well, this morning it seemed to me as I was digging into this text and meditating on it uh, these past days We have another contrast this morning, maybe the starkest contrast yet to unpack, and it's this, are you a child of God or are you a child of the devil? Pretty stark, pretty strong words. Now remember why John is writing this letter, we've talked about it before, John is writing this letter to a first century church that has been infiltrated by false teachers, by those who are preaching a different Jesus and therefore preaching a different gospel than the one John himself gave witness to. And so he didn't mince words when he described these people. Antichrists, he called them. Antichrists who are creating uncertainty and doubt among God's people. Do I really know this Jesus? Do I really have eternal life? And so John is seeking in this letter to teach the church what to look for in the lives of those who are known by God and those who know him. And remember, John is not doing this in a much to a preacher's chagrin. He's not doing this in a nice, orderly, linear fashion. One commentator, I think, at the beginning of our study when we were introducing this book, described it as a spiral staircase. That's kind of how John writes this book. He's been talking about these tests, and we've, we've introduced all three of them, the, the moral tests, the social tests, the doctrinal tests, these ways that we can know that we are God's people. And, and like a true spiral staircase, now that he's introduced all of them, he's now circling back to the first one by asking this question, what are we to do with God's commands? What are we to do with God's commands. And so that's where, kind of as a setup, that's where I want your hearts to go before I read this passage to you this morning. 1 John chapter 2, starting at verse 28, and we'll be reading down through verse 10 of chapter 3. As always, I invite you to stand for the reading of God's word, if you would. 1 John chapter 2, verse 28. Listen as I read. And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink back from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See 
What kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him because we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies himself as He is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that He appeared in order to take away sins, and in Him there is no sin. No one who abides in Him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen Him or known Him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as He is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. And the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. This is the word of the Lord. Well, there's a lot there in this passage, challenging passage this week to think about how to distill, how to frame, a lot of reputation, a lot of repetition in this passage, but at the heart of it, I still think is that that question, what are we to do with God's commands? That's what John's getting at in this section of his letter. And as he leads us, I think he does so by reminding us of three things, our past, our present, and our future. And it's those three rungs, rungs of a ladder, that I'd like us to hang our thoughts on this morning as we meditate on this section of John's Letter, except for the fact that I'd like to, I'd like to look at them out of order. I'd like to start with our past, jump to our future, and then end with our present. And all of that affects our here and now. You'll see that. But I hope that this is a helpful way for you to frame and think about this passage and these verses that we just read. So the first truth is this. Behold the love that has made you his child. Behold the love that has made you his child. See, as our passage begins this morning, we hear familiar language, familiar, familial language. Right? John calls his readers little children in verse 28. This is not to be received as condescending. Far from it. No, this is the opposite. This is tender and comforting. This is the Apostle John, now well in his 80s, this pastor to the people, giving fatherly, tender address to those who he's writing with. Little children, he says. But John is far less interested in 
his readers, his hearers, considering themselves his children. He is much more concerned that his hearers, that his readers consider themselves what he declares in verse 1. And I'm going to read it in the King James Version. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called the sons of God. I read it because that's the way I learned the song. Behold, what manner of love the Father has given unto us. Maybe some of you remember that song from your childhood. Brothers and sisters, we are children of God. He really loves us. He really loves you and me so much so that he's made us his own. And I want to unpack that for just a moment and meditate on it for a few minutes. So let's just start with the first word because that's where I think this instruction really lies. John is not saying see or hey guys notice or observe But as the King James, I think, rightly declares, he's saying, behold. You see, John takes that that Greek verb to see, and he adds it with this phrase, what kind of, a phrase that only occurs six times in the New Testament, and every other time, what kind of, implies astonishment and admiration. And so what John is doing is John wants us, people of God, church of God, to never lose the wonder of God's amazing grace and the new identity that that has created in us. It's not just a title, child, son, daughter. It's not something that you strive for. It's not something that you look forward to being one day. It's a reality right here, right now, a fundamental change for all those who are born again through Jesus. And that last little bit is important to double down on. Those who are born again through Jesus. Those of you who have been around Ascension for a while remember one of our dear matriarchs here at Ascension, Betty Van Wetchel. And we thought about Betty Van Wetchel this week as I was studying this passage. And I think I've told this story before, but in the first couple years I was here, uh, Betty and her husband Al used to sit right up here. And whenever we sang the hymn, Joyful, Joyful, We Adore Thee, Betty would come up to me and she would say, Pastor, I just want you to remember that that hymn has some questionable theology in it. That happened a couple times, and then we stopped singing it so much, and when we did sing it, we changed the words. What words were objectionable? Well, that hymn says, God our Father, Christ our brother, all who live in love art thine. Father love is reigning over us. Brother love binds man to man. It was written by a guy named Henry Van Dyke, who was a Presbyterian pastor, and he wrote these words in the early 20th century that we are all God's children. We are all united humanity living in love. It's a hymn and it's a phrase that really expresses some of the liberalism that was creeping into the church. And Betty just, oh, it just drove her nuts. Of course, we could say that we are all God's children in one sense. We're 
We're all made in his image. Every human being has worth and dignity because they are made in the image of God. But John is not talking about God as our Father in that sense. That's not what John's referring to. He's speaking of being born again and of the adoption that results from this new birth and from the anointing that we receive as we talked about last week in the previous passage. John 1, in his gospel, John 1, chapter tw- John 1, verse 12, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And then I'm going to go to full-on Presbyterian here. I'm going to quote the Westminster Confession of Faith, one of our documents in the Presbyterian traditional, which is really helpful on this. The Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 12, says, all those that are justified, God vouchsafeth, great word, in and for his only son, Jesus Christ, to make partakers of the grace of adoption by which they are taken into the number and enjoy the liberties and privileges of the children of God, having his name put on them, receiving the spirit of adoption, having access to the throne of grace with boldness, and are enabled to cry, Abba, Father, are pitied, are protected, are provided for, are chastened by him, as by a father, yet never cast off, but sealed to the day of redemption, and inherit the promises as heirs of eternal salvation. Oh, that's good. Behold the love that has made you his child. And so the question, what are we supposed to do with God's commands? Well, this is where it begins. This is where the foundation must be laid. J.I. Packer in his great, great book, Knowing God, written years and years ago, says this, if this, this being a child of God, If being a child of God is not the thought that prompts and controls your worship, your prayers, and your whole outlook on life, it means that you do not understand Christianity very well at all. And so John is simply saying, soak it in, brothers and sisters. Don't rush over it too quickly. You who were dead lost, orphaned, with no hope because of the person and work of Jesus. Behold the love that has made you his child. That's where we begin. This reality grounded in the past. And it leads, forward, it leads us to jump forward to the future. And that's where I want our hearts to go next. With this truth. Not just behold the love that made you his child, but anticipate the return of Jesus. Anticipate the return of Jesus. Do you know that the return of Jesus is mentioned 318 times in the 260 chapters of the New Testament? It's a big deal. It's a big deal, and it's a big deal that I suspect we should think about more often. Not in predicting when it might be happening, but dreaming about what's to come. And specifically, 
As John directs us here, thinking through its implications for our lives. That's what John wants us to do here. Verse 28, when he appears, and then later in the verse, at the end of the verse, he says, at his coming. Two different words are used. The Greek words, phanerosis and parousia. The first word, phanerosis, is the passive form of the verb to reveal. Parousia literally means presence. Parousia is used in ancient contexts for the visit of a ruler or, or a dignitary, implying all of the splendor that a monarch would receive upon their return. In other words, there are two aspects to the return of our Lord Jesus. He who is unseen will be made visible, will be made manifest, and he who is absent will be present. And so John's reminding you of this, and he's saying, get ready. Acts 1.11, this Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. He is coming again, and, and, and you see John, what John is getting at is anticipate your reactions to his coming. How is that going to land in your heart? How is that going to work itself out? What is that going to be like for you if Jesus comes back this afternoon? John makes it clear that there are only two possible responses. There will either be confidence or there's going to be shame. You see, why is he coming back? He's coming back in judgment. He's coming back to make all things right. He's coming back to separate the sheep from the goats, as he told his disciples in Matthew 25. And it's a separation that's not based upon good intentions. It's not based on a track record of being nice. It's based on those who are in him, period. And for those who don't profess Jesus as the Son of God, the Christ, those who don't prove it by the lives that they live, that's where we're headed to in just a moment, for them there is only fear. There is only shame that awaits. In Revelation 6, John describes that vision that the Lord gave him of the end of days. And concerning the return of the Lamb of God, he writes in verse 15 of Revelation 6, Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb for the great day of their wrath has come and who can stand? It's a foreboding scene. Jesus said in Mark 8, 38, whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him, the Son of Man, will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father, in the glory of his Father and with the holy angels. But for those who are in Christ, for those who have beheld the love that has made them his child, 
there's only confidence. The certain hope of Jesus' return is not something we, we just anticipate, but it's something we long for. Jesus speak, uh, John speaks of this. Verse 2, he says, We shall see him as he is. A face-to-face meeting is coming between you and Jesus. And how is he? Well, end of verse 3, he is pure. End of verse 7, he is righteous. And we shall be like him. Resurrected, glorified bodies, free from decay, satisfied souls, finally experiencing the fullness of what we are made for. Purity, holiness, finally free from sin. This is our future, and it should be a balm for our hearts. That's why Jesus said, again, John records it in John 14 in his gospel, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in me. My Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. You see, John brings up the coming of Christ, the appearing of our Lord, the judgment that will take place, because this is also a motivator for our lives. Our waiting is not idle. It is an active waiting. It's not sitting on our hands. It's an active abiding. And that's where John wants all of this to lead. In light of your past, your adoption, the love of Christ shown to you, in light of your future, his return and his righteousness and your righteousness, grounded in the gospel, longing for what's to come, then we get to the present, which is this. Abide in the righteous one. Abide in the righteous one. We just dipped our toes in this concept of abiding last week. Who are you? You're a son. You're a daughter. You are a branch connected to the vine that is Jesus. Verse 9 God's seed is in you. You have a new heart. You have a new spirit. That means inevitably, brothers and sisters, followers of Jesus, like father, like son, like father, like daughter. Your adoption, your certain future produces perseverance, yes, but it also produces inevitable change in your life. There is a family resemblance that we all share that shows itself in our lives because it is who our Father is. And it's fruit, that fruit, that will separate the children of God from the children of the devil. Right now we're getting to the really strong language that John uses here in the beginning of chapter 3. John is really pressing into the church that it it matters what you do. It reveals something about who you are. And those who had infiltrated the church, those who were teaching a different gospel, had argued and lived like it doesn't matter. They did what they pleased. They disregarded God's commands, and yet they claimed that they were His. 
And John says repeatedly and plainly in these verses that if you are born of him, you can't keep sinning. Sin is lawlessness. Sin finds its origins in the devil. We as children of light can take no part in the works of darkness. Jesus' life and death destroyed its power over us. Again, the, the Westminster Confession of Faith is helpful. Chapter 13, those who are effectually called and regenerated, having a new heart and a new spirit created in them, are further sanctified, really and personally, through the virtue of Christ's death and resurrection by his word and spirit dwelling in them. The dominion of the whole body of sin is destroyed, and the several lusts thereof are more and more weakened and mortified. So let's just pause there, take a breath, and let me ask you, how does that land in your heart? Particularly those of you that might have tender consciences. Yikes, right? Yikes! I mean, these are some strong words. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. How are we supposed to understand these words? Well, verse 4 is the key. What I just read. Everyone that makes a practice of sinning. See, the Greek wording there makes an emphasis on deliberate, consistent sin. Many of you kids play instruments or you are part of athletic teams that require some amount of practice. Right? Practicing your clarinet is not something you just fall into and just end up doing before you think about it. No, it's something that takes intentionality. You've got to be faithful. You've got to be deliberate about it. And that's the kind of behavior that John is talking about. When, when, when he says this, in the back of their minds and in the back of our minds needs to be what he said in verse 8 of chapter 1. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. John is not preaching. He's not teaching some perfectionism here and saying that if you're a true Christian, you ought not be sinning. He's saying those who make a practice of sinning prove themselves to not be abiding in Jesus. One commentary I read this week I thought said it well. Here's another way of saying what John says. Specific sins will still show up in the snapshot of our lives, but the video of one's life can no longer be titled sin. And if we were to continue in the Westminster Confession in chapter 13, what I read earlier it says this, this sanctification is throughout in the whole man and yet imperfect in this life. There abiding still some remnants of corruption in every part whence ariseth a continual and irreconcilable war, the flesh lusting against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And so don't leave this place. Please don't leave this place insecure 
in your faith, insecure in your status as a child because you're replaying the tape of this past week or this past month. And you're saying, man, I'm not worthy. Yes, you're not worthy. But if you're looking to Christ, if you're fighting this war, if you're fighting this battle, you are safe, you are secure. John is writing this letter that they might know that they have eternal life. He's not wanting to shake at the very moorings of who they are. He's just wanting to say it matters what you do. Life is a war. It's a war to abide. It's a, it's a battle to abide, to allow our minds to be filled with His Word, our hearts to be transformed by His affections, His Spirit to direct and power our wills. But we can do this because He's already done it. We can do this because He is with us in the doing. We are righteous in Him and we are being made righteous like Him. Both those things are true. Beholding the love that made you His child, anticipating His return, now by His grace and strength, abide in His commandments. And part of the gift of the church is that we do this together. We remind one another of these things. We challenge each other in these things. And by doing so, we, we gain confidence that indeed we are His. Behold the love that made you His child. Think about His return. Anticipate it, not in shame, but in confidence. And abide in the One who is righteous. Let's pray together. Father in Heaven, we thank You for these words from Your servant, John. Father, we thank You for the reminder to to pause and to consider and to meditate on those things that we confess sometimes we want to move on from. Oh, Father, may we never move on from the Gospel. May we never move from the amazing grace that has made us sons and daughters. May we live our lives in anticipation of that day when we will give an account for for our lives, when those who are Christ's will receive acceptance, for there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Those who are not of Him will only experience fear and shame. Oh, Father, may our lives be lives of abiding. Such an abiding that shows those around us that there is something more. That there is a better life. A better life than the American dream. But that there is a Savior who loves us who made us for Himself and who will come again that we might be with Him forever. O Holy Spirit, do Your work among Your people through these truths that we've unpacked 
speak to them in whatever specific ways they need to be encouraged, rebuked, challenged. May that which is not from you be easily and quickly forgotten. This I pray in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.